Welcome everybody back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I am your host, Andrew, and as always, my co-host Matt is right here with me. A nice fun bye week for the New York Jets, a nice week off, a nice stress-free week to not have to worry about any wins or losses for our favorite team in green. However, the rest of the NFL decided to do them a couple of favors. The Buffalo Bills losing to the New England Patriots, the Miami Dolphins losing to the Philadelphia Eagles. All of a sudden, the two teams ahead of the Jets in the AFC East standings are down a game. And the Jets are one game up after beating the Eagles with a chance to come back again this week after the bye, continue stacking some wins against a uh, a vulnerable, we'll say, New York Giants squad. Matt, I want to toss things to you first. Let's get right into this game. This is our topic of the week. New York versus New York. Meadowlands, you know, battle for for the rights to whose stadium it is. Where are you looking uh, for this game in particular? Where do you want to start? Offense, defense, anywhere. I'm going to toss things to you. How do the Jets beat the Giants this week? All right. Well, I'll, I'll start out with the in it with generalities, where we first can't on any side of the ball, offense or defense, play down to the Giants, because yeah, the Giants kind of found a groove against Washington last week, um, but they're still nowhere near the top of the league. They're not amongst the Eagles, the Chiefs of the world, uh, or even the Bills for that matter. So. They are a team that we should be favorites against. That we should, if we're if all goes to plan, have our way with. The only thing I can see standing in our way is ourselves. If we play down yeah. to them, if we have a game like we did against the Patriots, the Patriots are also not a good team. They aren't even in the this the realm of the Eagles or the Chiefs, and yet we still played down to them. Now we can make an argument that uh that was due to the the recency of, of Zach being thrown into the, the mix, maybe them not having confidence in him, maybe him not having confidence in himself, whatever. Either way, we've seen this many times before with the Jets, where they play down to opponents, where they don't live up to our standards, where they do not play as well as we imagine them playing, even if it's a bad team on the other side. So first and foremost, treat this team like they're the Eagles, treat them like they're the Chiefs, go out there and prepare like they're one of the best teams. Let's play for something. And on top of that, it's a fellow New York team. We're going to be in our stadium. Sure, it's a home game for them, but it's still our stadium. This is for New York. So the bragging rights for New York. This is all very important, uh, at least for, you know, fans at least. Uh, but still, for them, they should also be getting up for that because this is their rivals, uh, their crosstown rivals as well. So there's there's definitely some some storylines that should really get uh, the the blood moving and kind of stray away from uh, the Jets of past, where they would you know fall short in these kinds of situations. But now, if we're going to a specific side of the ball. Uh, let's start with uh, the defense. Let's start with our best unit. So I'm looking at the Giants right now, and I still see like why they were a playoff team last year. You can see the elements of a successful offense. You have Barkley, who is an amazing runner that can make anything out of anything. You have Waller. You have He's the dynamic tight end that can go up and win 50-50. He's uh, fast. He's he's just a, a full package when it comes to being a tight end. 
then you have Hyatt, who's the speed on the outside, who can take the top off of a defense. And then you have the role players like Hodgins and, and Slate, who, who are just reliable guys. And then on top of that, you have Tyrod or Jones if he's back, but not likely, um, and who's also just an efficient passer and also a mobile one. So factoring that in as well. Now, these elements by themselves uh, in, in a vacuum would look like a decent matchup against our defense because it sounds like a matchup that we've seen before, like last week against the, or against the Eagles the, uh, in our last game. They have similar matchup problems. Sure, not on the same scale. We're definitely not talking about the same scale at all. But the talent is there in all phases and in all directions. So we have to be ready for all this talent in all directions, no matter how they choose to attack us, whether it is deep with Hyatt, whether it is in the middle with Slayton or Waller, or whether it is feeding the ball to, to Saquon. We need to be ready for anything and everything. Uh, so that's kind of where we need to begin, how to prepare for everything and everything. I... Uh, just looking at how I would want to attack us, I would probably want to attack our run defense. I don't want to test our pass rush. I don't want to test uh, Sauce and Reed if they're back, uh, because or even if they're not back, our secondary proved more than uh, able against an offense like the Eagles. That is not something I want to go up against. That pass rush would worry me if I'm the Giants. So I'm going to feed the ball to my bell cow to Saquon. You know what? We might stop him eight out of ten times, but two of those uh, two of those uh, uh, times, he's going to break one. He will always be a threat when he touches the ball. So that is where I would key on. Tackling. Tackling is something that has worried me from going back years <laughs> where it seems like our tackling hasn't been up to snuff. If there's one thing about our defense that I wish uh, we improved on is our tackling because if you have a guy as uh, slick as Saquon or even Tyrod as a runner then you have issues if you're not able to really bear down on them and make the tackle so tackling is the focus of where I want to start and keying in on Saquon and then everything else if we can cut that off then that will make everything easier on the back end I think we have the talent to match up very well against all their other weapons, uh, whether it's Waller or Hyatt or Slayton or Hodgins or whoever. We have the talent on the back end, and we have the pass rush to make Tyrod or Jones their day a living hell. So if we can take care of Saquon, I think we can take care of their offense. Yeah, I agree. Um, the two factors for this offense that will make or break the Giants having a good day or not outside of the offensive line, which we will get to uh, eventually is Saquon Barkley and Darren Waller. They are the main threats. They are the main people you have to fear in terms of who can make plays short, intermediate, deep, who can make plays in the run game. You know, those that's who they run their offense through. If you can take that away, you're asking guys like Jalen Hyatt and Darius Slayton and Wandale Robinson and 
and others to kind of carry the load and, and do the heavy lifting on offense. And I just don't know if they're capable of doing that against the talent the Jets have on defense. Before I get too far into the weeds, though, I want to talk about the Jets themselves. And I want to talk about what you started off with, Matt, specifically, which is not playing down to competition, which is having the talent, knowing you have the talent, knowing that you can match up with anybody like we just saw a week ago, undefeated Philadelphia Eagles, never beaten the Eagles at any point in franchise history if you're the Jets. And despite you know any amount of injuries that you may have, you go up and you put it to the Eagles and you come away with a victory. That we don't care who we're playing mentality is great when you're playing a team that's really good and scary. That same sort of ugly rear your head around of we don't care who we're playing comes back when you're playing against a team like this week, like the Giants, like the Patriots a few weeks before, even towards the end of the game, it sparts against the Denver Broncos. We've seen this team have the talent to be much better than they appear and they match the level of their opponent. And what I really want to focus on, Matt, is the fact that this is their first game after a bye week. And history throughout the Jets for a long time has not been kind uh, to them coming out of bye weeks, but especially, especially under Robert Sala. Their first game out of a bye in the Robert Sala era was against the New England Patriots. They lost 54 to 13. Their first week out of a bye was week seven. They had a week five game in London against the Falcons. That was a loss. Had a bye week to get regrouped and come back strong. Very next week, week seven, 54 to 13 loss to the Patriots. Last year, the Jets have a bye. I believe it was week seven was their actual bye or week eight. And they end up playing the Patriots again coming out of the bye in New England. And that's the famous 10 to three Marcus Jones last second punt return touchdown wins the Patriots the game. The game that got Zach Wilson benched. The game that started the the Mike White revival and and really saw this team start crumbling apart at the seams and led to their downfall at the end of the year, where they were five and two, I believe, before the bye and end the season seven and nine. Uh, they have to find a way to get focused, to stay on task, to keep their energy high and be ready to play coming out of this bye week. They absolutely cannot come out flat after a bye again. They have to be ready to go and not lay down to a team that on paper, it looks like they should be more talented than, and they should, again, on paper, have no trouble walking away with a victory. You have to play up to your competition and play beyond your competition when you have the talent to do so. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. Just th- thinking back to to those other post bye week games, uh, I see a trend. It's either the Patriots who have always had our number, uh, even this year, or a wacky London game. So outside of that, there hasn't really been a nice normal game against a normal opponent that's not the Patriots. So maybe that's all it takes is to just not play the Patriots and not play in London. And maybe that will buck the trend. That's my only hope. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And the Patriots are notorious for having the Jets number. Um, even when the Jets seem more talented, seems like they always find a way to to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory and lose anyway. Hmm. This has to be different this week. You You have to be you have to have everybody in that building as laser focused as possible. 
you got to treat this like a rivalry game. You got to treat this like your Super Bowl. As Robert Sala himself says, you treat every game like a championship game, and then the championship game doesn't feel too big. Well, this is the week. Prove it. Treat it like a championship game, and you have an opportunity to come out of the bye, get a second win in a row, continue to stack going into the back half of the season where the schedule starts getting lighter and sit above 500 after eight weeks. That would be ideal if you're the Jets. Uh, Moving forward, you would mention the offense and you would mention if you're the Giants, you want to run the ball. 110% you want to run the ball. One, the New York Jets passing defense is one of the better units in the league. I believe they've allowed uh, their top five and pass yards allowed off the top of my head, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, We've seen what they can do when DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner are on the field. Last week, they weren't, and the Jets pass defense was still really good. We're waiting for word back today on Sauce and DJ and their ability to come back. I- I'm remaining optimistic since it's they've had the bye week in between. They had time. I believe DJ Reed last played um, in Kansas against Kansas City. So it's been a handful of weeks for him now of being out and being able to get back acclimated. Sauce had been practicing all week and, and an illness kind of led them to, to check further and discover the concussion symptoms. I would hope that from all reports from his side on you know Twitter and whatever social media he's on seems like he's okay and expecting to be back. If DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner are back in this game, the New York Giants are going to have a very, very hard time passing the football. Beyond the Jets' ability to cover, the Giants might have the worst offensive line in the NFL right now. They are looking at their statistics in terms of pass blocking. They have the second most sacks allowed in the entire league behind the Washington Commanders. And if you know anything about the commanders, a good portion of that is Sam Howell and his willingness to hang in the pocket and maybe not throw balls away um, when he probably should. It, outside of that, the Giants have the second most sacks. They're first in pressures allowed. This offensive line has been struggling all year. And if there's one thing we know about the Jets defense is that they can get after the quarterback. They want to rush the passer. They're third highest in the NFL. The Jets defense is um, in pressures generated. They can get to the passer. And if you are the Giants, you have a backup quarterback in Tyrod Taylor. You have an offensive line that can't pass protect. You have a defense you're going against with some great corners when they are healthy. And even if they aren't enough guys and a good enough scheme outside of that to to compensate and still make a pretty good pass defense, passing the ball is is going to be very, very difficult for the Giants. And Matt, I know we both uh, we both subscribe to this ideology. As an offense, when you're game planning and you're looking at your opponent, you want to try to find the path of least resistance. And if you're the Giants, that path of least resistance is the Jets' run defense and feeding Saquon Barkley. So I'm expecting Saquon to get a ton of attention in this game. I'm expecting him to be the engine that they really try and power the rest of their offense through. And if you're the Jets and you're on defense, you got to know that. I'm daring the Giants to throw the ball. I'm putting eight in the box. I'm bringing a safety down. I'll leave DJ and Sauce outside if we have them. And if not, I'll leave Michael Carter and whoever else outside with whoever else the Giants have. Because I'm not really too scared of anyone on the Giants passing offense besides Darren Waller. And unless the Giants want to put Darren Waller a receiver all game, sure, go ahead. I mean, take your take your lumps. That's going to take him out of the run game. That's going to make somebody else have to come in and play that tight end spot um, when you're trying to get Saquon the ball. I, I'm. 
I think there's a very, very simple way to defend this Giants offense, and it's dare them to make passes down the field and dare their offensive line to block long enough to let it happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Make the treat them like other teams have treated Zach Wilson. Make him beat you in the air. And that's definitely what we should do for once. Make somebody beat us in the air. Because that's, like I said, the path of least resistance. Uh, the only other thing I could see happening is to maybe go back to the roots last year. When we saw them really cooking last year, it wasn't just Saquon that they were relying on. It was their tight ends. And not just Waller, but also, um, I forgot the their other guy uh, that they uh, use a lot. Um, uh, name escapes me. But if they start Bellinger? using more... Yeah, Bellinger. If they start using... Waller and Belcher together, uh, I think that could pay more dividends. I'm not sure on Bellinger's uh, availability, but if he is available, I know he didn't play last week, uh, or at least he didn't get any uh, targets, um, that I think that they're going to implement that a lot more and kind of attack the same way we like to attack with multiple tight end sets. Uh, And that's going to put a lot of pressure on our linebackers. Uh, to in our in our safeties to really pick up the the slack and coverage there, uh, and I think they're up to the task. They they've seemed up to the task uh, for the most part uh, for the majority of the season so far. So if they go that route, I think that we'll be ready for it as well. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm not particularly worried about Daniel Bellinger being a major factor for the Giants' offense. Uh, I trust the Jets' safeties. I trust their ability to communicate. I trust Jeff Ulbrich as a play caller uh, and his ability to confuse quarterbacks and make people hitch and and structure his coverage in ways to take certain people away. I, I'm I'm really not worried a- at all, quite frankly, about the Giants passing offense. I, I think this is a horrible matchup for them. I, I think the Jets are the exact type of defense that that they don't want to see and that this offense and this team can really struggle with. The threat is Saquon Barkley. The threat is the run game. And with that said, my honestly, my last point for defending the Giants offense. You have to stay controlled in your gaps. It was like we talked about a few weeks ago against the Eagles. You can't be slanting up front as much. You can't be sending a bunch of run stunts. You can't be moving guys all over the front and trying to create havoc because you're going to open up gaps in other areas. And Saquon's such a good runner and can process things so quickly and move between gaps so quickly that if you give him a a lane that opens up, maybe not the designed lane that he's supposed to take play, but if you try and slant your line and the Giants run a counter play and that backside's wide open because that defensive end on the outside is crashing in and you're expecting a tackle to come around and he's meeting a pulling guard in the face, if you're Saquon Barkley, you're going to be able to stick your foot in the ground, make your cut, get up field, and at that point, it's a foot race. Not a lot of people win foot races with Saquon Barkley. Stay gap controlled. Stay in your gaps. Play an even front. Make sure that you are not overloading too much. Make sure that you are not scheming your pressure to have a bunch of people up around the box for no reason. Make sure that they are that they have an assignment that they know the gap that they are assigned to and that people are controlling their part of the field and their gap. Otherwise, you might get some chunk plays in the run game. 
But if you can load the box, if you can keep your gap sound, if you can trust your defensive line to win, get into the backfield without having to slant and stunt and move and and get themselves out of position and trust your linebackers that are are really good coming downhill against the run to come up and do what they do best. I, I think this Giants offense can have a really, really tough day moving the ball, period. I agree. I I don't see like a random anomaly where the Giants all of a sudden turn it on and find a way to to really put us on our on our toes on our heels and put us on skates for the entire game. Um sure I could see what's happened the entire season where we come out kind of flat and not really uh and kind of just sizing them up and then really turning it on in the second half. But even then, I don't see them running away like maybe the Chiefs did uh, against our defense, where we're going to spot them 17 points uh, and then really bear down and and get better in the second half. Um, I don't think they have the horses to, to really do that. They don't have the quarterback to do that. Uh, Tyrod, yeah, sure, he's mobile and he's efficient, but he is most definitely not Mahomes. Uh, he's not even hurt for that matter. So let's we can keep things in perspective and, and also realize, Hey, we do have some flaws, especially when it comes to, to really coming out and firing on all cylinders uh, from the get go. Uh, that's been something that, like I said, has happened all year. I think it was something that we even mentioned uh, last week and, and, and something that we wanted the, the just to really work on in the bye week to really have a dynamic an efficient plan going into the game. So they don't have to play catch up in the second half. So they don't need to be all worldly gods in the second half. Let's just be those gods from the get go. And we don't need to do that. Then we can play with our ears pinned back and really just go at the giants and really expose that offensive line for what they are. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a game that the Jets could, and the key word is could, could dominate. This is a game where they have a clear talent advantage. I think they have a clear schematic advantage. I think the specific intricacies of where they win, where the Jets win defensively, goes really, really well against what the Giants are going to try and do offensively to take away their opportunities. And to be completely frank, I think Tyrod Taylor might be a scarier, <clears throat> a scarier quarterback to go against than Daniel Jones. But even still, like you said, he's not Mahomes. He's not Jalen Hurts. He's not Josh Allen. We've seen this Jets defense play against quarterbacks who are that good and make them look average too. So I'm, as far as the Giants offense is concerned, you stop Saquon from running all over you, and I'm not sure they're going to score many points throughout the day at all. I completely agree. It's got potential to be a domination on our part, uh, or they can you know, fall short again uh, against a weaker opponent. Uh, I lean more towards uh, the former than the latter. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Uh, moving forward, this is where I want to spend the real length of time with this episode this week is the Jets offense versus the Giants defense. This Giants defense is a, a an interesting unit, and I'll put interesting kind of in, in midair quotations because statistically, <laughs> they aren't good. They aren't really that good at all. 
They're 24th in points allowed. They're 28th in yards allowed. They've had their 26th in total turnovers generated. They're allowing the 24th most yards per attempt. And despite being a Wink Martindale defense that wants to put a bunch of people in the box and dare quarterbacks to throw or, or you know, lock people up and, and take your shots against single coverage, they're 31st in rushing yards allowed. And they're tied for 31st in yards per attempt allowed. So they're putting a bunch of people at the line of scrimmage a lot. They're third in the NFL in blitz rate. They're blitzing at the third highest rate in the league. They're keeping guys at the line of scrimmage, that classic Wink Martindale, wide nine, double mug, A-gap pressure with the linebackers. And you, and you got seven or eight people in a straight line right across the line of scrimmage, across the offensive line. You would think that that could be a way to slow down a run game, to, to make people win one-on-one blocks, to take away the ability to run double teams and guys get up to the second level. Well, it hasn't mattered. It, it really hasn't mattered for the Giants. Their rushing defense has been horrendous. And the number one thing that, that sticks out to me, Matt, when you look at their statistics, despite blitzing at the third highest rate in the entire NFL, they are 30th in total sacks. So they are trying wow. to blitz and send pressure just about more than anybody else. Only two teams in the league blitz more than them. And yet, only two teams in the league have fewer sacks than they do as well. That's a really bad recipe. That's a really, really, really bad recipe to be as a defense. If you are blitzing that constantly, if you are leaving your secondary exposed, for lack of a better word, that constantly, and you're not getting home as a result, and you're not getting the negative plays and and the negative yardage from the sacks that you want as a result, you're basically leaving your defense out to dry. And on top of that, they are they have the fifth most missed tackles in the league this year, too. So you're leaving guys in one-on-one. You're leaving a bunch of open space. You're asking your pressure to get home by blitzing a ton. It's not because you're not getting a lot of sacks. And then you're asking guys to make tackles in space where they really struggle, and you're allowing the fifth most missed tackles. My first point for the Jets offense This is going to be as simple as I can possibly make it. Throw tunnel screens to Garrett Wilson until the Giants stop you. Because if they're going to put eight, nine men right along the line of scrimmage, if they're going to keep their corners seven, eight yards off, they're going to say, we're playing our cover zero. You see it. We know it. You know it's coming. Here comes the blitzer. The whole point of that double mug cover zero blitz is to try and get a free rusher off the edge and to blitz more people than the offense is blocking. You do that, you leave everybody else singled up. And if you want to put all those people right on the line of scrimmage, right above the center, you know, plugging up that middle of the field, throw a tunnel screen. Let Garrett Wilson start outside, let him come back to the inside, release Becton and Lakin or whatever, you know, Max Mitchell and whoever else is will be at right guard, Tittman, Schweitzer, otherwise. You send those offensive linemen out in front, you create a lane for Garrett to cut back inside and run up field. And I think you can make this a track meet. And you can say, all right, rather than, again, path of least resistance, rather than focus on going through the teeth of this Giants defense, go right up the gut at them, you know, win one-on-ones against seven, eight men at the line of scrimmage. You want to give us the free outside shot to Garrett and give him all the space to run, then we will gladly take it. And after that, then we feast on your 31st ranked rushing defense. Then you let Brees Hall get in the game. Then you do exactly what I said the Jets shouldn't do. 
which is keep your guys in control and gaps and and make sure that everyone is playing sound. If you're the Jets, pull some guards, run some counters, run some straight up classic, you know, two back power plays, wash people down the line of scrimmage, replace them with another person pulling around behind it. You can create lanes against this Giants defense in the run game, and you can really open it up in the pass game by getting the ball out quick, getting some screens to your playmakers, getting Garrett involved, and letting him use his ability to make plays in space. I I think this could be, and I'm going to knock on wood here, from a game plan perspective, I think this might be one of the easier games Nathaniel Hackett's going to call all year. I mean, the Giants basically let you do whatever are going to continue. Let me rephrase. The Giants are playing the insanity game where they're trying the same thing over and over and it's not working and they're not adjusting themselves. So why is the Jets offense would you do anything other than what every other team in the league has done all season? Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I I love your your point of attack, which is getting the ball in Wilson's hands, exploit those one on ones. Um, And even though the they aren't really hitting home with sacks. They are, I think, 13th in hurry percentage. Um, and if you look at our sacks, we're kind of similar. We're, we lead the league in hurry percentage, but we're near the bottom when it comes to sacks or, or somewhere in the middle. But uh, So either way, that can make a difference, getting those pressures, especially against a guy like Zach, who really can struggle when he's under constant pressure. Uh, so they're going to try that because that's been a winning recipe in the past. Get pressure. So I, I, I agree. They're going to really probably uh, try to plug every hole with with blitzers. Uh, try to rattle Zach and and find the opportunities when they arise. So yeah, if we can exploit that aggression, it will only work wonders for us with Wilson. With Hall in the passing game, I want to get Paul more uh, action in the passing game. I want more Rucker. I want more Conklin. Get these guys into space right off the bat, where their uh, aggression will leave them exposed, will leave them at our will, and until they back off, we can exploit that all game until they stop. And like you mentioned, they play the insanity game where they don't stop. So it could work all game with very little resistance. But yeah, that's the way to do it. Now they just need to do it. It's all about execution. And we we know that execution's been kind of up and down, but I kind of trust them uh, after the, the last couple of weeks that they've put together. It's kind of been a consistent balance uh, um, of efficiency and uh, planning. So I think they have the tools. They have the the speed. They have the weapons that can take it to the house with uh, a little space and the ball in their hands. They have that. Just get it done. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Uh, I mean, you made the point about the Giants generating pressures and hurries, which is a, a valid point. but. Again, I want to go back to the Jets. Actually, if you're looking at just pure total amount of hurries, lead the league in hurries right now with 35. The Giants are 14th with 21. The Jets have the second lowest blitz rate in the NFL and the Giants at the third highest. 
So the Jets get a lot of hurries, struggle to convert them into sacks more often than we would hope, but are getting pressure and are doing so by only rushing four more often than not. The Giants are getting some pressure. It's not that they're not entirely, but they're really struggling to get sacks and and bring people home and finish off and, and have those blitzes pay off. And they're blitzing constantly over and over and over and over trying to blitz. You're, you're asking the Jets to just pick you apart with screens and quick throws and get the ball into their playmakers' hands and let them do their, do their worst. I, I mentioned the tunnel screens to Garrett Wilson. I think this is a perfect game for some swing screens to Brees Hall. You want to get into a, a three-by-one set, spread things out, give the Giants a nice tasty look to say, oh, we're, we got one back, we got our five offensive linemen, Back's probably going to release out into a pass. You're going to have five-man protection. If you're the Giants you're, and you're Wink Martindale, you're thinking, oh, this is great. This is what I've been waiting for. You know, we're going to put all of these people right up at the line of scrimmage, and, and they're going to get on and, and be the ones that are going to make plays, and we're going to get in the backfield and have a free runner, and it's going to be awesome. And then Brees Hall goes on a little motion out to the flat. You have your three-receiver side in front of him. They, he catches the ball. They block. Brees turns up field, and you have two corners, maybe a third corner or safety playing way off against three blockers at receiver and Brees Hall with his ability to make people miss and everybody else is sucked in at the line of scrimmage. Now you're asking the rest of your defense to go and chase Brees Hall when he's got blockers out in front. I don't see how if you're the Giants on defense and you don't stop what you're doing and you don't change up your tendencies you're begging teams to just beat you over and over in the same ways. And that's why I say it's the definition of insanity because we're, we're eight weeks, seven weeks into the season at this point, teams are who they are. There's no, you know, we're not still wondering, you know, what is this team going to look like? Where do they want to emphasize? What style of football do they want to play? We know that's all out. The, The cards have been shown at this point. And if you're the giants, you're, you've shown your cards over and over and you keep blitzing and it keeps not working. So unless you, unless this is the game, Wink Martindale decides to be somebody other than Wink Martindale. If you're Nathaniel Hackett, you have your answers served up to you on a silver platter. And I really hope that, like you said, the game plan is clear. Now it's about execution. Now it's about consistency. Now it's about making sure Zach is on point, making sure he's putting balls in the right spot, making sure that he's been, as he's been better in the short game this year, as that continues. Make sure Brees Hall is getting the ball in space, not guys like Dalvin Cook. Make sure your tunnel screens on on third and four are going to Garrett Wilson, not Randall Cobb. You have an opportunity to you have an opportunity to steamroll this team. Let's let's be frank. Let's call it what it is. From a statistical standpoint, from a, a talent standpoint, from pretty much any standpoint you want to talk about, you have an opportunity to really, really make a statement, come out of this bye week strong, go out, claim your throne to New York, claim your throne to the Meadowlands and say, yeah, the Giants may have been the better team last year, but this year is going to be different. Um, I really hope we see some improvement from this team and some consistency, because if they can get off to the right foot, they're getting into the easier half of their schedule in the back half. They can start finding that consistency and, and get better overall as a team. I mean, you can just continue to trend upwards from there, but but it has to start with a a purposeful and deliberate 
dominant showing against the Giants this week. If they play down, it's going to be really, really hard for me to to feel good about the rest of the year. Yeah, that's my fear, is that they play down, that they ignore everything we just said and maybe just start the game either with play-action deep passes, uh, thinking that the Giants aren't just going to, you know, (laughs) overload the the offensive line and, and get home with the blitz. Uh, because I don't think they're going to care if, if we run the ball. They, they know that they have a lot of guys, you know, blitzing and, and, and around the line to, to make an impact if we start feeding the ball to Hall a lot at the get-go. So then it just comes to, can we just implement that short game? You made a point that Zach has looked better in that realm. And that's big because before if our run game wasn't working and we weren't able to connect deep, we had no short game to speak of. He was throwing balls well behind people, well over people's heads, well behind people. He's just throwing horrible balls last year in the short game. The easy stuff looked very hard. The fact that it looks somewhat easy and routine for him puts us in a position to take advantage of that and to take advantage of them and their aggression. Get it to the speed. This is a game where if we still had Hartman on the team, I'd want to see him a lot more. I want to see Gibson a lot more if, since we don't. I want to see Hall a lot more in the passing game. I want to see Wilson more in the passing game. Speed, speed, speed. Get the ball in their hands. They're playmakers. As soon as they have the ball, they know what to do with it. You give them space, they'll take it to the house. Just get it to them. Yeah, I mean, that's... There really is only there's only a couple of ways in general for offenses to beat this style of defense when it's going when it's going right, when everything is working well. And as a defense, you need some superstar cornerbacks to be able to make it work. In Baltimore, when Wink Martindale was the defense coordinator there, he had that. He had guys like Jimmy Smith. He had guys like Marlon Humphrey. He had some great safeties and Earl Thomas being one of them. Um Chuck Clark, before he got hurt, played some really good football for them. They had a bunch of talent in that secondary that allowed them to try and be more exotic up front and send pressure and trust that their back end could cover. That's not the case in New York with the Giants. That's just not. They don't have that secondary talent. They have some good players. Xavier McKinney's a solid player. Former Jet Jason Pinnock found his way into a starting role up there. Been doing a pretty solid job, but not to the level of a guy like Earl, an Earl Thomas. and cornerback wise Deontay Banks is a rookie he's still getting his feet under him they don't really have anybody outside of him that is scary from a defensive standpoint in the secondary Matt you had mentioned Xavier Gibson I think he's another guy that needs to get the ball early and often get some reverses get some counter plays get him a jet sweep if you are again and I'm going to say it till I'm blue in the face on this show if you are going to put all of your defense in a straight line right at the line of scrimmage. If you don't get into the backfield and make a play, it's going to be a big play for the offense. It's it's that simple. Unless you can have the corner talent to play press man, cover zero with no safety help up top and say, we're never going to give up a deep ball and my corners are never going to lose a press attempt and they're going to be playing with inside uh, inside shade on any receiver looking for anything going across the middle and they're going to squeeze into the sideline if they try and go outside and cap over top. 
unless you have the greatest corner group the NFL has ever seen, your corners are playing off coverage. They're playing back. They're off the line because they know that if they do make a misstep and get beat deep, there's absolutely nobody there behind them, and it's a walk-in touchdown. When you have corners that have to be that far off and you have everybody else right up at the line of scrimmage, those line of scrimmage players, if you throw the ball to the edges, if you get the ball to the outside, whether it's a screen, whether it's a pitch play, whether it's a reverse, you know, whatever you have to do, when you get the ball to the edges and away from that log jam in the middle, then you're asking corners and safeties to come up and make tackles from nine yards of depth off. Against a guy like Xavier Gibson, that's a recipe for disaster. Against a guy like Garrett Wilson, that's a recipe for disaster. Against a guy like Brees Hall, that's a recipe for disaster. Just get these guys the ball in space and let them do what they do. Zach Wilson does not need to be the hero of this game at all. If Zach Wilson's trying to throw 40-yard shots downfield against this defense, it's going to be a bad day. You can. There are some teams that, that blitz and leave single coverage that it makes more sense to max protect and trust your shots and go downfield. That We talked about that against the Patriots a couple of weeks ago um, as a team that they're going to want to blitz, they're going to want to be exotic, they're going to want to put people with the line of scrimmage and, and, and try and force a quarterback to win downfield. There are games when the better idea is Put seven in protection, go max protect, block it up, and let your your great receivers win down the field. This is a game where it's don't even bother. Just get your guys the ball in space. Make it easier for your quarterback. Make it quick. Let the guys who do what they do best win in the ways that we know that they can win. I think the offense can have a really solid day. I'm not expecting you know 35 points from this team, but they can score a couple of touchdowns. They can get over 20. I wouldn't be surprised if this is a 24-point Jets you know, score or 28-point Jets score. This defense is, is reeling right now, and the Jets have the talent to beat it if they use it the right way and if they execute. So I'm seeing some news uh, uh, break now from the, the press conference with Sala. Uh, seems like Tipman's healing up. However, how that moves... Uh, I mean, what that means uh, is yet to be seen. We've, we've heard people healing up before and, and, and not be ready. Uh, I think Sauce and Reed are still in concussion protocol. Uh, so that's a little... That's still in the numbing. protocol, but they are practicing today. But they are practicing. Which is, which is a, an important thing to note, is that at least they yeah. are practicing. They may still be in the protocol, and they might still be in the protocol you know, up until possibly even time of the game and game day, but they are practicing. It's a Wednesday practice. They're both practicing. They're trending in the right direction. The concussion protocol is really tricky. It is. Uh, so hopefully we get them back. Uh, he talked a little, a little about Izzy, uh, somebody that we've all kind of wanted to see more of, maybe less cook. Um, and uh, Saul was saying how he's still learning the protections. Uh, and probably once he gets that down, they'll probably find a little bit more of a role from him. Uh, his speed would be very much appreciated in this game. Uh, having him and Hall on the field at the same times uh, gives a nice uh, would give a nice little um, ability to do maybe double screens or either way it puts them in a bind to have to cover those two and their speed. Um, so I don't know. It's things are trending up, but in in that arena but there's still a lot that we need to kind of break our way uh to really give us the the confidence 
uh, either in our offensive line with Pittman coming back or in our secondary uh, with Sauce and Reed coming back. Uh, I know that our guys did very well against the Eagles last week, uh, even with our backups or backup the backup or practice squad guys. Um, but I don't want to have to rely on that every week. And now there's tape on them. Now people have seen what they're capable of, and it's no longer a surprise. Uh, so I can see that that not having the same effect if we have to go that route. So I'd really like to have all these guys back, and hopefully we do. Yeah, that's um, no sauce and read is concerning if it happens, although them practicing is definitely more helpful. Uh, Joe Titman has been a, a really, really big help on this offensive line. Not having him again would be tough. Um, can I go on a quick rant about Please, something man. that you said? Not not you specifically, but in, in passing information. <laughs> um, in terms of Izzy Abanacanda and Robert Sala saying that he's still learning the pass protections. And that's why he's been, I guess, inactive the entirety of the season and not been able to get in and be active at all. Um, knowing pass protections as a running back is important. I'm not trying to, to downplay that narrative of it. And to be quite, quite frankly honest, it's kind of concerning that he's still learning them. That you had all spring. You had all summer in camp. You played in the preseason. You've been inactive and practicing and healthy. It's not like he had an injury at the end of the preseason, got over it pretty quick, has been, as far as I've been aware, healthy and practicing and, and no more you know injuries to worry about. If you're still learning the pass protections, that's a worry. That said, you can put Izzy in the game and know you're going to call a play where he doesn't have to pass protect. You can, you can work around that to get this guy on the field. You can find ways to, to get him the ball and let him do what he does best that don't have anything to do with pass protection. If it's We've seen the Jets do their their first and 10, 21 personnel. You know, they're going to get under center. They're going to have Nick Bowden in the game. And we are fairly, fairly certain fans, media members, everybody in the stadium, opposing team, what have you, that a run is coming. Why can't Izzy get in for one of those plays? Why, why is him not knowing the pass protection call a barrier to let him play at all? Why can't you have this guy active, create a package of plays for him and say, okay, Izzy, these are the the six or seven plays that we have that you know that we want you to run that if and when we get into an opportunity when you're going to get in the game, these are going to be what we're going to look to do. This is how we're going to look to use you. You're worried about him in pass protection, so don't play him on passing downs when you know you're going to have a running back in pass protection. That's why Michael Carter is still on your roster. That, that's. That's a cop out to me, Matt, to be completely totally honest. Oh, that feels that feels like a gigantic cop out to sit there and hide behind a reason why this guy can't get on the field when you don't want to put them in a position to do what they do best and what they were drafted for anyway. To me, that's Robert Sala saying everything else besides we paid Dalvin Cook too much money and now we have no choice. Yeah, that that last part is the reality. And a sad one that they're kind of feeding into uh, in a perfect world or even a productive world. You would think that the the best that you have would get more time. 
but that just hasn't been the case. And not just at running back either. We mentioned how Cobb is inexplicably getting so much playing time. We were we had Hartman who wasn't getting any any play, and then it comes out like, oh well, Gibson, you know, beat him out. Well, then why isn't Gibson getting <laughs> enough play then? Exactly. We still have Cobb out there. What fifty percent of the time? So that's I believe it's forty nine point eight percent of snaps. So yeah. Practically 50, yeah. half of offensive snaps, 39, 38-year-old Randall Cobb is playing. And and it's not that like he's no been sense. and it's not like he's been all that productive while he has. He's had a couple <laughs> no. of good plays, had a good third down conversion against the Eagles, caught a two-point conversion that was a tight ball and a tough catch. Outside of that, what has Randall Cobb really done for this team to be playing 50% of offensive snaps? You have Guys like Xavier Gibson that made your roster as an undrafted rookie who won you a game against the defending AFC champ Buffalo Bills in his first NFL action on primetime with a game-winning punt return. You have a guy like Jason Brownlee who makes your roster as a UDFA, who makes some great plays in camp, has some good plays in the preseason, is someone you were clearly very excited and surprised by to keep on your active roster as a UDFA, hasn't ever seen the field. This mindset, and to... This was not where I was planning on going with this episode, but you know what? Here we are. This mindset has to change. I don't care how much money you paid Dalvin Cook. It was a bad signing then. It's a bad signing now. Take your loss. Eat it. Keep him on the sidelines where he belongs because he's hurting your team. I don't care that Randall Cobb is Aaron Rodgers' friend. I don't care that Nathaniel Hackett knows him and they have a relationship. He's not helping your team right now. And if Aaron Rodgers was under center, and he can have some sort of a, a chemistry with Cobb and and there's some sort of a, a, a valuability or valuable reason to have him playing as much as he is, then sure, maybe I'd understand it. But Randall Cobb playing, playing 50% of snaps is, is asinine when you have other players on this team that deserve an opportunity. And Dalvin Cook being, uh, Dalvin Cook being the reason Izzy Abanacanda can't see the field at all is a crime to the rest of your football team. I really hope this doesn't continue to bite them as the year goes on because Randall Cobb has no future with the Jets. Dalvin Cook, no future with the Jets. You have guys on your team that you expect to be here at the very, very, very least going into next season, if not longer, that are young, that are either rookies or uh, very were rookies a very short time ago. Get these guys their opportunities. Get them on the field. Stop wasting time on 30-plus-year-old players with no future on your team that are making way too much money to begin with. This is just... Uh, that line from Sala really just bugged me a lot. And that, and I get it's coach speak. It's a press conference. You're not going to say the quiet part out loud. You're not going to go out and be like, yeah, well, you know, we would want to get him the ball, but Cook's making $8 million this year, so... So we we don't want to look stupid for that signing. Okay, sorry, you already look stupid. And you look stupider and stupider by the week by continuing to try and play this guy instead of taking what you can and eating it. If there's credible rumors that we've seen of Carl Lawson getting traded and potentially Dalvin Cook being traded as well, well, if Dalvin Cook's going to be traded, then is a bit, uh, then is he better know the pass protections, right? Then he better learn quick. <laughs> then if that's if that's the the barrier that's keeping him off the field, and you're already looking to trade Dalvin Cook. Well, why are you looking to trade Dalvin Cook if you don't trust a band of Canada to know the pass protections? And if he needs to know the pass protections inside, outside, forwards, backwards, and sideways to even be active, then why are you shopping Dalvin Cook? That's a that's a cop out to me. And and I'm 
And I'm honestly, this is just frustration because they signed Dalvin Cook at all, and they shouldn't have. And we said that for months. Yep, uh, you can always. That's the thing with with Salah. You can kind of filter out the BS. You can you can tell when he's not saying what he really means. Whether it's oh he doesn't know the routes, or oh we can't find a role, or oh he doesn't know the protection. It all means the same thing. Exactly what you just said is that oh well we're paying this guy more. So sorry, uh, and yeah, it's just what he's going to keep doing during press conferences, and we're going to have to keep being annoyed by it. Um, but we we see through you, Sala. We see you through. Yeah, I mean, again, I get it. It's coach speak. You, you got to be the guy that's going to say, you know, whatever answer you got to give that's hiding the real answer. I, I get it. I truly do. But. But when it's affecting the outcome on the field that much, that's when it bothers me. And at some point as a coach, you have to, as a head coach, you have to be willing, not in public, to be very clear, not in public. This is why I will, I will save final judgment as the weeks go on to see how things play out. But as a coach, as a head coach, you have to take ownership and say, Joe, I know you're paying this guy a lot of money. I can't play him. It's not helping. Aaron, I know this guy's your friend. I know you have a great relationship. I know that he basically didn't retire to come here and be with you and play with you. And now you're not here. And I know Hackett, I know Hack, you got a great relationship with this guy. You know him, you trust him. He knows your offense. Stop it. It's my team. It's not Aaron Rodgers' team. It's not Joe Douglas's team, fully and truly. It's Robert Sala's team. He's the head coach. He's the one making those decisions. And if Robert Sala genuinely believes Dalvin Cook is helping his team, if Robert Sala genuinely believes Randall Cobb is helping his team, that concerns me. And I don't think that's the case. I know Sala's a good coach. I know this team knows what talent looks like. I know that they know when they have to get guys opportunities. And it's all of this extra political nonsense that's getting in the way of that. And, and I hope it doesn't continue to bite them in the butt because, because you have two guys on your offense right now that are getting consistent touches. Cook less so frequently, but Cobb definitely still, that have no business being on your active roster, let alone getting as many snaps as they do. And sooner or later, it's really, really going to come back to haunt them. Yeah, but you know what? As long as they keep winning and playing well, it kind of gets swept under the rug. Because in the end, winning is all that matters. And <laughs> if they keep doing that, then you know what? People are going to kind of they're they're not going to put the fire to his feet as much so hopefully we don't start losing and we have to get to that point hopefully he just realizes this on his own i hope so uh, I, I really do um i really really do let's let's end things off here as we finish off the bye week going through the trade deadline fast approaching i mentioned some names that could be on the move for the jets carl lawson being one of them dalvin cook being potentially another um let's go over that a little bit I think Carl Lawson may not even be a Jet by Sunday. Um, I could see that. Well, let's see. The deadline is is Sunday, right? Or is it Halloween? I think it's Halloween because I think it's always on a Tuesday. So I think it's the following uh, following Tuesday. But I I would be, I think there's a chance he doesn't even make it to Sunday, to to this week. I'll be surprised if he's active this week. I'll say that too. I'm very surprised. Um, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Yeah, he's the, the writing's been on the wall for Lawson since, well, before we even broke camp. 
when he had his back injury and um or hell you know what let's go back even further when we draft mcdonald and we kind of you know see where we where we're at with our deep edge room and that glaring contract of 10 million dollars that i think we could have gotten out of got free without owing him a cent and the fact that they they uh reworked that contract that they restructured it and really put us on the hook is really just draining his value now as a, as a trade asset. So thanks JD, but no thanks. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to be, I'll be surprised if he's on the team by the end, by their next game, but I'll also be surprised if they get anything more than a six round pick. I would be surprised if we even get like a conditional seven. Yeah. It's not going to be, it's not going to be much that contract. Like you mentioned, that's the problem is that they could have got out of it. scot free. Now they need another team to take it off their hands. And I just don't know. I don't know what other team is going to do. We have to pay a team to take them. (laughs) I'm pretty sure void years can't be traded. So so the void years that are added on are, are going to be the Jets issue regardless. But in terms of any base salary or remaining guarantees, that would be transferred over to a new team. I, I just, I've seen some some rumors, not that I have any sources, just passing information along from other people that may or may not have sources. I've seen some things mentioning the Raiders and Browns as potential opportunities for Carl Lawson. Sure. Again, the Raiders don't have too much on their defense besides Max Crosby. Um, Tyree Wilson has been hurt, and when he has been playing, is still coming along in his development and his technique and hasn't been doing too hot. So I could see an option there. The Browns' defense is, is absolutely loaded. They think that they have an opportunity to continue to grow. Um, find somebody to come in as a sub player for guys like Miles Garrett and Zadarius Smith. Again, sure, but if I'm the Raiders or the Browns, is Carl Lawson making that much of a difference for me to where I need to go and send a pick for to another team to where I need to give up future assets, even if it's a conditional sixth or something like that. I'm, I, I don't think Lawson's going to be on this team, but at the same time, I, I don't necessarily know who's going to take that bait. Yeah. It's like we, we don't want him because he's kind of useless to us, but at the same time, he's kind of useless to everybody. So where's the value? There isn't. Yeah, it's this is a tough situation. Um, I'll call my shot an official prediction. Carl Lawson to the Raiders for a seventh round pick. Okay. How about Cook? Uh, no one's trading for Dalvin Cook. <laughs> no, the Jets. The Jets yep. made their bet on that one. Now they got to lie in it. If another team, if another team is dumb enough to send Joe Douglas anything and take the rest of that contract off their books and and let them basically wipe their hands and get away scot-free, then then I'll be celebrating. I'll be screaming from the rooftops. You won't hear any complaints from me. But but I just don't know what team has a has a running back need that desperately to where they are willing to pay what Dalvin Cook has been agreed to be paid by the Jets in a contract and not just find somebody else off the street or elevate from somebody else's practice squad and poach somebody that way. I, I mean, there's there's a multitude of ways that you can find players in the NFL. Running backs grow on trees. That, that is a true, true statement. There is an abundance of talented running backs in the league, which is part of the reason why they struggled so much to get paid and consistently get 
the the top top of the league guys really get what they deserve because there's so many guys that are good that are widely available. Who's going to send a pick for Dalvin Cook? Who? No one. No one. Well, you know no what? No one. Actually, I'm starting to think now because if if a team does trade for him, they're not they don't have to pay his full cap number that we have. It's going to be greatly I'm I'm thinking back to any uh, trade deadline trade and usually the the team receiving them is paying maybe a fraction of of what the actual cap number is for the the trading team. So I don't know if it's maybe that far fetched for Cook because they won't be paying what we're paying. I mean that that might make things happen. Uh, I'm not going to totally disagree. I just I just don't see the need and I don't see what team might come looking. The only team, the only team that I can think might have a a, a half decent shot of making this happen. And it's depending on a lot of factors is the Cleveland Browns. First and foremost, Nick Chubb is hurt. So he's done for the year. You're already without your best player on offense. Sean Watson's been struggling mightily uh, and, and is hurt himself. You had mentioned Jerome Ford being hurt, was a guy they drafted either this year or the year before out of Cincinnati, who had a lot of juice, good player, making some plays for them. He's hurt. They signed Kareem Kareem Hunt off the street. He isn't practicing right now either. Kevin Stefanski knows Dalvin Cook. They were together in Minnesota for a good few years. If their relationship is good, I could see that being a possibility. If Stefanski and Cook have any sort of bad blood between them, I don't think there's a snowball's chance in hell that happened. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Uh, we've already made the trade with uh, the Browns for Elijah Moore uh, back uh, around the draft. Uh, so maybe we just open the, that trade avenue again and uh, get Cook over there. Um, I could see the Bears, maybe. Uh, I know they've uh, had some some woes in, in the run game as well, and maybe a guy like Cook is somebody that they would want to bring in. Um, there's other teams that are missing their primary starters. I think the Rams as well. Um, and there's a number of teams, but I think what you said, the Browns is probably the best bet. I, I think it's Browns or bust. The Rams would be my, my second thought, but they just brought Daryl Henderson back up off the of practice squad. He had a good game for them. He's our, you know somebody their coaching staff already knows, and he's younger and more explosive. So it's it doesn't seem like there's any desire there to continue. Um, last guy I want to talk about. We've talked a lot about this off air is somebody the Jets might bring in rather than send out. And that's Hunter Renfro, the Raiders receiver. A uh, lot of trade talk about Renfro as we get close to the deadline issues between him and Josh McDaniels and how he doesn't quite fit into the offense. And they're not quite a match made in heaven. Matt, I know you're a lot. Um, I won't say a lot, but you're a good bit higher on Renfro than me. It, it, to to kick off this debate and and end this episode, why do you think Renfro would be a good addition? All right. Well, I wouldn't say I'm very high on him. I would say I'm probably higher on him than you for sure. Uh, and I feel like a lot of his woes are really attributed to the way he's been used in Oakland. That maybe it's around ninety. 90-10 10%, with a ratio of uh, McDaniels and him being the, the problem. Um, I believe he really makes his money as being the guy that can improvise. 
buys and get open and then be deadly after the catch to really uh, uh, make a difference in that way. Uh, and I think that McDaniel's offense uh, and scheme kind of stifle that. Um, so maybe a change of scenery would do him uh, wonder. Uh, I haven't seen any uh, all 22 of his uh, of his uh, uh, year so far. So I can't really speak to how well he's doing in structure. Um, so it's it's kind of a, a a hope that yes, a change of scenery would be what he needs to kind of find that spark. Uh, that's the hope. Um, and with the way the Jets' receiving room is right now, outside of Lazard and Garrett Wilson, and Lazard in in certain capacities, not even in every capacity. Outside of those two guys, they really don't have anybody else that's threatening. You know me and everybody that listens to this show should know me. I value speed and explosion pretty much above anything else. Everything has a has a hand and matters, but in terms of what traits do I look for first, it's speed and explosion. Renfro has the explosive part. He's really quick. He's agile. He can make quick cuts. He can find ways to get open. Deep speed isn't incredible, but he's by no means, I would say, super slow to where he's going to outright struggle to separate. The issue for me, and I can't even believe that I'm siding with Josh McDaniels on something. It was just, just incredible for me to even realize. Um, the issue for me is how Renfro gets open. He is good at getting open. He is not good at getting open in the timing of a play. And if you're Josh McDaniels and you're the offensive coordinator, your thought is, okay, quarterback is taking his, his drop. These are his progressions. Fifth step of a five man, you know, five step drop quarterback's back foot is going to hit. If you're Hunter Renfro and you're running, you know, a dig route over the middle, I'm expecting you to be at that depth, at that spot, ready for that dig route right at this very precise moment within the timing of the play. You better be there. You better be there on time. You better be an option for the quarterback. Renfro is the type of route runner where he wants to set you up. He wants to give you something to, to think you're going to take away and then go and do and, and go another way and do the opposite. And while he's good at getting open, it takes him a while to get open because he has to do all of these little cuts and moves in between and and set somebody up to create separation. That messes up the timing of play sometimes. That's a really, really good way to be if you're in more of an improvisational offense. If you're in more of an offense that's a little more free when you have quarterbacks that make plays out of structure and, and can get out of the pocket and move and extend plays and while Zach Wilson can be that type of quarterback from what we've seen from this year, and as I talked about last week, he's been almost too focused and robotic on being in structure and being in on time to where I'm worried that you bring in Renfro and Zach's expecting him to, you know, run a, an eight yard out route. And by the time his, you know, third step, his back foot is on his third step and his cleats are in the ground, that that ball should be coming out and Renfro should be getting ready to break, if not already breaking to the outside. And Renfro hasn't broken yet because he had to do a four-step stutter and shade inside and then do some little back whip to the outside to then get outside and then get open, and it messes the timing of the play up. And, and I'm just... I don't know if Hunter Renfro puts does any more for them than somebody on their roster already would getting more opportunities. Do you need to trade for Hunter Renfro or do you need to just let Jason Brownlee get an opportunity? Do you need to send a pick to the Raiders for Hunter Renfro or do you need to just give Xavier Gibson the ball? I, I feel like that's addition by subtraction, if that makes any sense at all. 
No, I, I completely agree. Uh, so yeah, rather than a change of scenery uh, would do him good, but that change of scenery is not here. It's maybe a team like the like the Chiefs, where it, being off script and improvising is how they live. Um, but yeah, it, you're, you're absolutely right. Zach has been very intent on being in structure and on time this year. Uh, he's made a point of it. And we he's still, you know, making some plays out of out of the pocket, uh, but not as much as last year, not nearly as much. Um, so the value of a rent throw uh, would be diminished here as opposed to somewhere else, for sure. Yeah, uh, again, I, I don't think that would I rather have Hunter Renfro than Randall Cobb? Yeah, but I'd but I'd much rather just let Gibson and Brownlee get opportunities first. So that's that's kind of where I'm at. Um, let's get to predictions for this week and then go ahead and wrap this one up. I'll go ahead and lead it off. Like we've been saying all uh, all afternoon, the Jets on paper should win this game. They have the talent. The Giants are reeling. Their offensive line is suffering. We've seen what this defense can do even without their top guys at corner. We've seen what this offense can do even with some people missing on their offensive line. There's just too much of a talent gap here. And I trust the Jets coaching staff to keep people as cohesive as possible. And as as long as, again, a lot of knocking on wood this week, as long as they don't come out completely and totally flat after the bye and Play down to their competition. I think the Jets are going to win this game pretty handily. I'm going 24-7 Jets. Okay. Um, that's uh that's a nice little gap there between 20 uh 24-7 or 24-7. 24-7. All right. That's uh I, I would take that in a heartbeat. Um I think it's gonna be a little closer. Uh I think that our uh post by week uh troubles you know follow and they they come out a little flat uh we come out and maybe give spot them 10 points and but then i think in the second half we're gonna blank them so in the end i say 21 10 yeah. all right not too far off a couple of field goals of a difference between the two of us but we both agree this should be a a should be a a handful victory for the New York Jets. They they should be able to get a win. They should be able to get the four and three. There's nothing I've seen or heard from the Giants that makes me think otherwise. The Jets will lose this game themselves. The Giants will not beat them. Agreed. All right, that does it for us. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Appreciate you stopping by as always. Matt, let the people know where they can find you and let's get on out of here. Uh, Matt, you can find me at Zazija. And you can find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. You can also follow the show at OKD Podcast. Thank you again one more time for tuning in. And we will be back next week to hopefully review a New York Jets victory as we continue through this 2023 2023 season. Thank you all so, so much. And we'll be back real soon. Bye-bye.